Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, guys. I'm Jay from The Eagles Beak, um, editor of Eagles Beak, even. Um, you can catch us on our website, eaglesbeak.com. We're also all across social media, particularly Twitter, at The Eagles Beak. And I'm also um, a football expert on a local football show called Back of the Net. It's on community radio, but you can get it online. You can get us there on Twitter, at underscore Back of the Net underscore. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Rasmus, Chelsea supporter. And you can catch me over on Twitter, and at Chelsea Rumours. Um, Lots of content is going to come up soon. I'm working on some really big things, so keep an eye on that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. We'll start off with Jay. Another tough loss, but some promising signs there in the second half. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to know where to start. I mean, that first half was... um, I wouldn't go as far as say embarrassment, but I, I would say it's it gave Twitter quite a meltdown uh, across the south of London. Um, yeah, it, it was a really disappointing 45 minutes. Perhaps I would say the worst we've played this season, um, but we had a terrible loss at Villa. Um, and, and it's really hard to put your finger on it because I don't think we set up that badly because we, we kept the same starting line as we did against Spurs the week before. And it's a real, um, you know, bumped down to earth really because you know after the great win at Spurs I won't I'll try not to keep mentioning it Kev but um you know a lot of us including myself thought that would be a catalyst for us to go on and and find our regain our league form I mean, we've suffered a lot of injuries as I've said before and I'm certainly not making excuses for the for the bad runner form this is two months now and we've only had one point in that two months it's even longer without a win in the Premier League I've had a lot of conversations with Newcastle fans and 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 fans of clubs that Pardew's been at before, and it seems a common theme that he's had. He goes on a really good run of you know really good run, and then on the flip side, he goes for a really bad run. And this one is obviously one of the really bad ones. And I think sometimes in a season you have to take a good but a smooth. You know, we're never going to win every game in a season, but I think this two month period or since the start of 2016 is getting a little bit grating now. Great that we've had saved our best. On for the FA Cup, but the league. I mean, we've we, we spiraled down a league, and and we've seen it happen with clubs before. That you know, I'm not saying that we're going to get into a relegation battle, but we've got Sunderland away on Tuesday, um, and and that suddenly turns into you know a relatively big game because I think we need a few more points really to to pull ourselves, you know, give ourselves that distance from from the clubs in the bottom three. Thankfully, there's you know three really bad sides in the Premier League this year, and it's and and it, and we shouldn't come anywhere close to it. You know, this is a squad of players fully fit. When they were fully fit, they got us into top four of the Premier League at the start of the season. Then the injury started, suspension, run of bad luck, run of bad form from certain players in the team. And it's really spiralled from there. And it's it's been really difficult to get, out, to get out of. It really has. And Pardew must take some of the blame. And there was a lot of um, comments on social media last night, particularly, which I just didn't bother going into. I kind of left social media, particularly Twitter, for a bit because... The Pardew Out campaign started um, from Palace fans, from from a certain group of Palace fans, which for me it seems um, seems ridiculous. I know it's a bad run of form. Um, a lot of people are saying if we weren't still in the FA Cup, Pardew would have been gone by now. 
to be fair, I think Pardew probably gets a fair a fair crack at Palace because of his past with the club. You know, he's he's one of our former players. He, he's classed as a bit of a legend, even though he wasn't at the club that long. Um, so I think he gets a little bit more time than than most other managers perhaps would. Um, but I think yeah, it, it's really hard. The second half, as you say, Kev, was uh, really positive. Um, but that we paid for that terrible first half. We really did, and not taking anything away from West Brom. I spoke to Dan from Baggers Facts last night, and he actually said that that's the best forty-five minutes they've played this season. And to be fair, to a certain point, you know, because how bad we were, we let them have the space in midfield, but they scored you know two decent goals. The Berahino goal was excellent. I have to say, defending wasn't great, but um, it was a fantastic ball from Sessegnon and, and Berahino finished it you know, brilliantly. Um, it's difficult to blame one player. I think the whole whole team were poor. But the second half, for me, Connor Wickham came good. The second goal was excellent. And I think, really, we should have got back into it and got at least a point because, arguably, we could have had two penalties in the game. One on Scott Dan, which was a blatant penalty, a push in the back uh, when he was running for the ball with Mark, the Mark and Macaulay. I think it was lost lost him in the run and just barged him into the back and, and away from the ball coming in from the corner. The other one was Belassi, which was probably less of a penalty, but I go back to the penalty that was awarded against us, uh, again, for, you know, for Watford in the home game, that that was a soft penalty. Uh, and we're just not getting anything at the moment. Kabaya wasn't protected. He got kicked from pillar to post. Zaha wasn't getting anything out of the referee again. I mean, Zaha's the most fouled player in the, in the Premier League this season. And he really gets a raw deal. Yes, he has he's, he's perhaps made a name for himself for going down too easy, but you know he's not the only player that does it. He really isn't, and he hasn't done it quite as much as he as he perhaps did do at the start of the season. I think a lot of things are conspiring against us, and that's what happens when you're on a bad run of form. I'm confident that we're going to find that form again once we've had all our players back from injury. It's great to see Balassi yesterday uh, have a cameo in the second half. We looked really good when he came on, but it just proved to us why he didn't start the game because the last 20 minutes he was really puffing out there and he needs match fitness. Perhaps he'll start against Sunderland maybe, um, but he really needs that, uh, you know, the, the fitness again. We're missing Sacco, which he probably wouldn't start in the first 11. We're also missing McArthur, who's a first-team player, and we're also missing Punchin, who's a first-team player. So we've got two players that McArthur might not be back before the end of the season. Punchin certainly will once his hamstrings uh, uh, come, you know, um, got better so I just don't think the Adebayor Wickham um, front two pairing really worked yesterday where it did at Wild Hart Lane it didn't against West Brom yesterday uh, unfortunately as I say you know we the second half was really positive from our perspective but we it, we we paid for that terrible first half we should have got a point out of it if the referee was um, you know should really have given us one if not two penalties but um, you know we, we, we really suffered because that poor first half unfortunately but you know, we go into a game on Tuesday against Sunderland, which, you know, we, we have to get something out of it, really. I say have to. I mean, we haven't looked over our shoulders all season. A lot of Palace fans have said this season that it's the first season they've ever known that we're not looking over our shoulders. But some fans are actually looking behind us um, to that bottom three. And, and thankfully, there's three a lot worse teams than us in the Premier League this season. I just hope we can get out of this spiral at the moment because it's, it's you know, it's something that we just can't seem to shake and, and the luck as well. Hopefully we can have a bit of luck on Tuesday and uh, we can get a result against what is, let's face it, a poor Sunderland side. Yeah, uh, why do you think Balassi didn't get the start? Because clearly he played much better once he had come on. Yeah, I think I alluded to it um, when I was chatting just then that he, he was great when he came on for a good 20 minutes but the, the second uh, the second period of that second half, he was really struggling. Um, you know, he was blowing out his cheeks a lot. Um, and I think fitness came into it. And that's clearly, he hasn't had a lot of game time. Well, he hasn't had any game time while he's coming back. And I've said this before that, you know, 
Premier League doesn't have any reserve league or reserve teams for these players to go out and come back from injury gently and, and kind of get that game time. It's The only game time they're going to get is by coming back into the first team in games such as this. Um, and it's you know it's a tough it's tough isn't it to come back and, and expect players to be you know on top of their game straight away. He had an impact that second half you know because he had the ball a lot and we were expecting a lot from him and he did do quite you know he did do a fair bit. But I think the last ten fifteen minutes of that second half, even though he came on at half time, he was he was struggling for uh, you know for breath and, and fitness. So I think that's a lot to do with it. Um, and perhaps you know we don't want to risk losing him for any more you know f- for that running. I mean, was it 12, 11, 12 games to go? We need him um, because he is such a big player for us at the moment and gives us that extra dimension, which you know w- which really helps us in that second half. You know, we were close to getting that equaliser, but not quite close enough really. So um, I think it's kind of preserving him really a little bit, um, and we'll be interested to see if he starts on Tuesday. All right, Rasmus, uh, Chelsea seem to have been doing quite well of late, picking up a 2-1 win against the Southampton side they hadn't conceded in the six previous matches. What was your take on this one? That was a really nice result. Um, a bit unexpected, if I'm honest with you. And when we went behind, I was pretty sure that we, we might get a draw, but we, we wouldn't go back to win it. And I, I believe that's the, that's the first time we've actually done that this season, certainly in the league. Um Come back from a losing position and 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 won the game. We've had a few draws, but not actually turned it around uh, into a win before. So that was really positive. Um, second in the form table uh, since Mourinho was fired. You can't really argue with that. That's that's pretty good and still unbeaten under under Hiddink, apart from in the Champions League. So um, things things are, are looking up right now, and and obviously uh, beating Manchester City five one last week as well was. Was a very positive, very positive result as well. Um, it's it's really nice to see that the the fight is back in the players, um, that they have the the mental strength to to compete again because that was really missing before, especially under Mourinho, um, but also in the early days of of hitting taking hitting taking over. Uh, basically, that if we conceded then you know we, we would completely lose our heads and and all sort of strategy and tactics went out the window and it was just survival that we were aiming for so um it it's brilliant to see that that things are are looking a bit up um i feel really sorry for baba raman because it was his mistake a huge mistake that led to uh <clears throat> to southampton actually taking the lead uh, brilliant finish from from Shane Long but you have to look at Courtois as well and think why was he so slow to get off his line which is worrying because last season he was definitely one of the top three goalkeepers in the whole world if you ask me and this season he's 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 been above average that's for sure because he is a brilliant goalkeeper but he's it's almost as if he's taking a step back which was probably the last thing I expected to happen um same with Hazard he uh, he wasn't really at it this weekend either. He had a few good runs and it was it was nice to see, but but so so far beneath his his usual standards and it's it's almost starting to scare me a little bit. And and I'm and I'm wondering is he ever for Chelsea going to regain that form that made him PFA Player of the Year last season, uh, or does he need to go abroad? And even if he goes abroad, will he be able to rediscover that form because he? He was at at his peak last season. He was probably the best player I've ever seen in a Chelsea shirt. He was that good. Um, so that's that's very disappointing, and I hope he can 
I hope we can regain that form, uh, especially before the Euros as well, because obviously I want Belgium to do to do well, and he's a key player for for the national side. So um, a bit worrying about him. Nice to see uh, Kennedy back in the side again, although obviously he didn't start, but he took over at halftime from Ramen at left back, which is not his usual position, but he did really well. And uh, much as Southampton were at least as good as us in the first half, we completely dominated them in the second half. And to score a winner in the 88th minute, you, you can't really beat that, can you? Um, so it's it's really it's really refreshing to see that it's a Chelsea side that no longer just give up and collapse completely, but that we fight until the end again. And uh, currently just two points behind Liverpool and at only, I think, one point from being in the, in the top half of the table, which, you know, is something that we've, we've missed a lot. Uh, it's been so, so strange for us to be in the bottom half of the table and looking over our shoulders as well at one point, which was just bizarre, if you ask me. But um, it's a question of how, how high up the table can we climb now? I'm still thinking possibly top six. Uh, it's not unlikely at all. I think top four is still, it's it's a stretch too far, although we are only 11 points behind Manchester City right now, but they do have a game in hand as well. So um, top six w- would be nice. Uh, we just need to keep going, really, because we're, um, we're definitely heading in the right direction. Yeah, um, John Terry, obviously, that whole saga is going on. I'm not going to touch on that. We spoke about that last time. But the question it leads me to ask is, what other players do you think might have their futures in question, especially if you miss out on Champions League, which you say is likely? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, I think Hazard might, but it's going to be, if he wants to leave, then then he'll probably leave. If he doesn't, then he will probably stay, because I, I don't think anyone at Chelsea within the club has, has really given up on him yet. There's been rumours about Costa wanting to go back to uh, to Atletico as well, but I, I don't really see that happening either. I think most of our squad is actually going to stay. I don't see any any of the major players leaving, apart from perhaps Hazard. Uh, I think I think William and Pedro, Fabregas, Matic, etc. They they'll want to stay. They'll want to fight next season. Um, Although, now that I just mentioned Nemanja Matic, I wonder if he can regain his form as well because he's been awful this season and Mikel has really cemented that spot under under Hiddink and and you can see why he's been so much better than, than Nemanja has this season and it's it's been very disappointing. Um, so we'll see if, if he's still at the club next season or if... I wonder if if the club is actually going to stick with him, or if they're going to decide that yeah, you know his his legs are gone more or less, and he needs to move on. I think Oscar is a potentially someone who might be looking to leave as well. I just don't really, I just don't really feel that he's that committed to the club. Although obviously he he did sign a contract uh, recently, actually this season, and he's happy here. But I, I could imagine him being someone that would want to leave if we didn't get Champions League. And I know that there are several clubs, especially in China, that are willing to pay crazy money for him. And I think that could really tempt Chelsea because he's such an inconsistent player. There's no doubting his uh, his natural ability is, is remarkable and he's, he's 
fantastic footballer, but he just doesn't show it regularly enough. So we'll see about that. And uh, perhaps Begovic as well. He might want to to move on because he's too good to be on the bench, and I'll happily admit that. Uh, I'm so happy that he's at Chelsea, but I'll completely understand as well if, if he'll want to, to seek other challenges because he is he's a very good goalkeeper and he should not be sitting on the bench. Yeah, I think the big takeaway from that is uh, Oscar to Tottenham, I think is where you were going there. Yeah, that's uh, that's not where I was going at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those just listening for the first time, or the first time with me and Rasmus, there's a very long-standing joke about Chelsea Wantaways ending up at Tottenham. And uh, how many have done so? Roughly think, zero? Uh, yeah, pretty much zero, yeah. yeah. That's actually spot on, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, obviously would have taken De Bruyne if you would have let us, or Sherla, or any of those guys. Um, That's uh, Lukaku. Oh, right, Mata and Lukaku. <laughs> uh, it got a bit out of hand there for a while. Yeah. It, it really did. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, for Tottenham today, uh, we managed a 2-1 win against Swansea. Uh, but th- I'm very, very proud of the performance we had today in a different year. This easily could have been a one or a two nil loss from us. Um, it was definitely nervy, but the fact that we turned it around, massive credit to uh, all the players and to Pochettino as well. Uh, the early goal was a bit harsh as it took a significant deflection before falling to uh, Poloski, who scored his first Premier League goal. Uh, I've said before on the show, I'm sure every club has something like this just because you see it from your perspective. But it seems like every person that scores against Tottenham is breaking some record. First Premier League goal, first goal in like two years, first goal against a team from London, just random stuff. Always seems to be what (laughs) does us in. Uh, But Pulaski does score in this one. But pretty much start to end, Tottenham were just pummeling the Swansea goal with shots. 34 in total in this one. Uh, which I guess wasn't the most surprising considering the, the attacking nature of the side we put out. But 34 shots, 14 on target, which was a bit insane, especially only coming away with two goals. And a lot of that uh, is credit that has to go to Fabianski, who has, in this single match, I think, uh, ditched his old Flappy Hansky moniker. Um, ended the match with 14 saves. Just, it really was an incredible performance from him. And a less resolute Tottenham team from years past probably would have just folded in. But we just kept pressing forward. There were times when our entire team was in their box, save for Hugo Lloris. Not their box, in their half, sorry. Uh, and we were like, what? Toby, what are you doing? Get back, please. Uh, but it ended, out work, ended up working out for us pretty well. Uh, did manage to pull it back to 1-1 with what initially looked like a deflection off of Chadley. But on the replay, you can see him opening up his body and just perfectly placing the ball in the bottom left corner. Uh, really was taken quite well uh, from the Belgian international. Rasmus, I'm sure you love that. Um, and uh, like I said, this, this was not the easiest win that we'll have this season. But especially with Arsenal dropping points and with Leicester picking up a very late win against Norwich, it was vital that we win this one especially with West Ham midweek and Arsenal at the weekend. Um, Would hope to get a win against one of those. I think we do just need the three points out of the two. But uh, could have needed six if we had not won today, or at least four. So pretty pleased with the result today. Still still a little worried uh, that we're missing Moussa Dembele for some pretty big matches. Uh, And we drew Dortmund in the Europa League draw, which is obviously a huge ask. 
I'm not really sure which would be better for us, either for us to rest our starters and potentially get (laughs) a little humiliated uh, against Dortmund, and what would that do to the squad's morale, or play our starters, have them be a little bit more tired, but obviously not lose by as much. I'm not very confident about that draw, by the way. And as I've always said on the show when asked such things, um, I do not believe in you have to beat the best to be the best because that's literally not how tournament structures are established. You can get fortunate draws. Lazio are playing Sparta Praha while Liverpool are playing United and we're playing Dortmund. You don't have to beat the best. You have to beat the team that you draw. Um, so and disappointed with that draw. A lot of people saying, well, this is our big test for the Champions League. Uh, but this is not the same team that we'll have next year when we are most likely in the Champions League. So I thought it was a very harsh draw. I'm sure the atmosphere for the people that get to go will be incredible. I do not get to go. Would have liked an easier draw. Um, but anyway, Arsenal losing, like I said, definitely helps us. But it helps us in so much as our placement within the top four. And it, it seems that I am <laughs> starting to join the group of people that thinks that it's deciding where we'll finish in the top four and not if we finish in the top four. And the fact that we have six straight Premier League wins is not too bad either. Uh, Before we jump into the topic, obviously the Capital One Cup was today, as we're recording, yesterday as you're listening. So I just thought we'd jump into your thoughts on that match. Manchester City win it. What was your take on it? Yeah, it was a good final for me. I thought it was the first half was a little bit of two teams standing each other out but the second half was pretty uh, pretty exciting for the neutral tense for uh, the fans involved obviously but I think I mean they were atrocious penalties from Liverpool uh, really I mean City didn't City's first one wasn't that great but um, I think City just about did enough to win it um, overall but I, I enjoyed it as a neutral uh, watching the game um, I think Pellegrini has been harshly dealt with by City in terms of bringing in Guardiola, which, you know, if, if, a, if a manager of that stature is available for a, for a club such as City, then you kind of have to take it in a way. But I think Pellegrini's been dealt a, a bit of a rough deal because I think he's done a riot. So it's quite nice for him to, um, well, at least win one competition this season. Um, perhaps the Premier League is a little bit out of their grasp now, but who knows. Um, Champions League is still uh, still up for grabs. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do between now and the end of the season. That might just be the uh, the boost they need winning that cup and getting that one out of the way and uh, for them to progress. But unlucky to Liverpool, I think they played. Well, I think they played decent second half. They did probably uh, you know have, have a fair few chances to um, you know to, to sneak it late on, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, I didn't actually watch um, the entire game, but uh, I did. I did watch the penalty shootout, and you have to give Matt massive credit to uh, to Caballero first of all. I uh, just wanted to mention that. that those were some really impressive saves, and when you think about how much he's been ridiculed over the last week, especially for his performance against uh, us in that five-one thrashing, um, where he let in that ridiculous goal to make it five-one that the Bertrand Traore header that should never have gone in. You know, fair play for for Pellegrini uh, for for picking him and and he really showed up and and won them the cup. So you know, congratulations to him and congratulations to Manchester City, uh, the lesser of two evils, if you ask me. So I'm I'm fairly pleased with that as well. <laughs> We've been getting a lot of Liverpool hate on this pod lately. A lot of people unaware of our audience base. Um, <laughs> no, you make a lot of good points there, and uh, Richard was on midweek 
he had previously said that Caballero gets a lot of flack and that he was a good shot stopper, but that his last showing was really poor and he can't believe he thought that. So now he'll have to rescind that again um, <laughs> as he gets three saves. You mentioned terrifically done. Also, Mignolet lay tremendously at fault for the goal uh, that Manchester City scored, but did fairly well for the rest of the match. Uh, keeping out a few efforts that could have gone in, and that's just kind of the nature of him. I think I've compared him before a little bit to Tottenham-era Jorelio Gomez, which uh, I'm sure Rasmus remembers the Chelsea goal. Um, but Gomez will save, yeah, Gomez will save shots he's not meant to, and let easy saves go into the net. Um, and that that was a bit on display. But Mignolet did dive the right way on every penalty, if memory serves. Um, so so could have ended up saving himself a little bit there, but uh, was not to be. Manchester City win it, um, and the trend of the Capital One Cup manager not being their manager the next year uh, continues. It looked like it was going to be dead. I think it did stop for one year. I don't remember who won it, but then last year, obviously, Mourinho wins it. He's gone this year. This year, Pellegrini wins it, and he's already out for next year. So it'll be interesting uh, to see who wins it next year so we can start the rumors a bit early. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought I thought City played very well. I think there's a little bit of poetic justice for Manchester City. Well, a, a little bit against the fans that Yaya Toure is the one that wins it for them. Um, I didn't see the incident with uh, Toure and I think it was Lalana being that severe. I heard a couple people calling for a red card. It did look for a little bit like he had elbowed him and then like grazed his face with his foot. But from a different angle, it looked like he missed both ways. What was your guys' view on that? To be honest, my view is Lala went in strong on... Um, who was it he went in on? One of the Fernand. Boney. No, oh, Boney. Yeah, yeah, it was Boney, yeah. Yeah, he went in quite hard on... And Torre did the same thing to him, and he and he got really upset by it. And I was kind of thinking, well, if you're going to put in a tackle, as you know, it was quite a bad yeah, tackle, actually. Yeah. yeah, and Torre did the same to him. Why did you get upset if you've just done the same thing? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it was cut. very strange. No, no, no. It, it was a good point. Rasmus, you said it should have just been a red card anyway. Why? Just because it's Yaya? Or? Yeah, well, he's, you know, everyone everyone seems to like Yaya Torre, but I really don't like Yaya Torre. <laughs> uh, this, is, I, this is important based on allegations I've made about people that don't like Yaya Torre in the past. How long have you not liked Yaya Torre? I would say um, about five or six years. So, so pretty much just city era, yeah, yeah, Toure. Exactly. No, yeah, because I don't really okay. follow Spanish football that much, but I just saw, you know, he gets away with a lot of, you know, cheap tricks, and and yeah, his attitude yeah, is yeah. obviously weird with the whole birthday cake incident. Uh, <laughs> do you know? Do you know what said a lot about the IR Toure tonight is that when he took the winning penalty, he yeah. ran off, he ran off to celebrate instead um, of with uh, and ta- yeah and ta- and ta- did you see his face he's else. like where yeah. are you guys going i had yeah. three out of four <laughs> saves yeah exactly <laughs> and exactly. played for because actually quite a few of, of the manchester city players did go to caballero and which obviously must have frustrated yaya Torre. you can expect a transfer request tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's running. I think it's running around the pitch on his own. Actually, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, Torre to Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the first time I've heard that, Kevin. That is. <laughs> so, quick, I remember. Quick, quick question: Is it everybody to Tottenham in the summer? Uh, <laughs> just about. Actually, this is a really good question. I was talking to Safe about this earlier. We were talking about how I've said on many platforms that I think Axel Witzel to Tottenham happens if we make the Champions League. 
Um, and I've been very confident about that in the past because there, there have already been discussions back and forth. There was a late move last year that collapsed because of the lateness of the hour. There's definitely interest on both sides. And uh, my awareness, Rasmus, is that he is friends with the Vertongans and all the Veralds of the world. Yeah, he's, but, I think he's a popular guy, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. But then, uh, Safe and I were talking about who, who are City going to lose. We, we asked you that, Rasmus, who are Chelsea going to lose. We talked about who will City move on from. If Pep comes in, and obviously Torre is at the top of the list, you know who would be a tremendous replacement for Yaya Torre and would have more guaranteed playing time with them than us? Axel Witzel. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. You already have Company and, and uh, De Bruyne there, obviously. I don't know. Rasmus, you, you like the Belgians. What do you think of that situation? Well, I think I would be fairly upset because I've wanted him at Chelsea for numerous years. But... Um, mm-hmm. He's a brilliant player, but I don't think he's as you know um, he's as good in attack. But perhaps that's that's not really what City need either. They have got tremendous talent uh, in attack. So you know, people often often say that about Yaya Torre that he focuses too much on on, on attacking and that he forgets his defensive duties. Uh, and you know, you kind of ignore it because he is that good uh, at you know shooting, scoring goals. From midfield, which is obviously a brilliant uh, trait to have, but if you if you forget your defensive duties as well, that's that's not as brilliant. So I think Ritzel would make a lot of sense for Manchester City to get someone like him, especially because I'm not a not a huge fan of uh, Fernandinho and, and what's the other guy Fernand, Fernando. 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 Fernando Blank. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not particularly convinced by either of them and I think Witzel would be uh, a cut above so um, that would make a lot of sense I hope it doesn't happen um, but you know you've probably jinxed it now <laughs> right if I say they're coming to Tottenham it never happens if I say they're going to someone else it does um, but just a, a last note on wherever he goes uh, if it's a club like Tottenham we'd have to get the done deal Luka Modric style where we'd have to get the deal done before the Euros started because anybody that's doing it afterwards will be reminded of how good he is. He's kind of been out in the uh, soccer wastelands, uh, not not because Russian football is at a lo- too low a standard, just that it isn't heavily televised. Um, so anyway, a lot of people will see him over the summer, obviously, with Belgium, and will probably change their mind, especially with Nangolan kind of struggling uh, for Roma. Uh, all right, well, uh, now we will head into the topic where we're going to be talking about managers. We've all touched on them a little bit already, but we'll delve into it. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Mauricio Pochettino is one of the few managers who's really been developing this year and caught a lot of bit of stick for that, for being a bit of a Spurs homer. I've never pretended I wasn't, but that one in particular, I will admit, was a bit silly to say. So my question to you guys is, how do you, how has your manager changed throughout the season and Obviously, uh, Rasmus, this includes an actual managerial change for you. But, like, Jay, for example, obviously, part of you, first half of the season, everything's going great. You got up to fifth, I believe. Um, yeah. Things looking terrific. Is it something that part of you's done that's led to this difference? It's, it's a real tough one because, as I mentioned, Pardew's experienced very similar trends at other clubs that he's been to managed in the past, particularly Newcastle. Um, he's had really good runs and really bad runs. Um, so it seems to be consistent with him. Um, I, all I would say is that the only difference this time is that, and again, I'm not making excuses, but I've not known a season 
um, like this season in terms of injuries. We've had, I think we've had at one stage we have four or five first choice players out injured and at a club like Palace, we're not going to have light for light replacements on the bench. You know, there's a reason why players are squad players and there's a reason why you've got your best first 11. Um, so while you can replace players, you know, one or two, you know, fill in sort of round holes with square pegs, as they say, you know, you can't do it for, you know, three or four players. It, you know, it's getting to be a, you know, a bit tough then. And we're, and we're still having to do it. On the flip side, you know, you would hope that Pardew would have a plan B. Um, first half of the season, while we were playing well, you know, everything seemed to work. Everything he, he seemed to do. Um, while we were flying and in good form, it seemed to happen and happen well, particularly with you know changes that he he made and you know not just for changes during a game, but changes you know from a starting lineup for a next game or whatever. Um, but second half of the season, everything's just gone. Uh, nothing's worked. It really hasn't. You know, we we've tried players in different positions. We've tried, as I mentioned, we've tried two up top with two big men up top. When earlier in the season, towards the end of 2015, we were crying out for. Um, a big man up front with you know to partner somebody like Dwight Gale when we had Connor Wickham suspended, then injured, then um, injured again. Uh, we've had Adebayor and Wickham playing the two big men up front, which kind of worked last weekend and, and not this week. It's you know the job of a manager is 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 pretty tough, isn't it? Because you are reliant on on the players going out and doing the job you work on them to do during the week and those instructions and we know footballers aren't the brainiest people in the world are they they a lot they do do stupid things but (laughs) you know you you do wonder whether players you know you know managers get blamed players get blamed I mean particularly for that first half yesterday for Palace I mean who do you blame do you blame the manager for not changing it up sooner do you blame the manager for not preparing well or do you blame the players for really not showing any passion and that's something that really irritates Palace fans is that players weren't doing what we expect them to do. And, you know, there's one thing going out there and losing a game, but to lose it um, through not working hard enough and not doing the jobs you're supposed to be doing and being a bit lackluster, is there's no excuse for that. So a lot of people were laying the blame firmly at Pardew's door uh, for that for that first half. Um, in terms of... I, it's really tough to decide whether Pardew's actually got worse or whether he's... Or whether it's just bad luck and, and, and injuries, I, I guess time will tell as the season goes on whether you know he can make some changes to make sure that you know to turn this around. That will that you know that that will really tell for us. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully it will. Maybe it's just a case of um, you know trying a couple of new different things. I'm wondering whether we could play Gal with a big man up front. We we do have options. This is the thing. We do have plenty of options now with players coming back from injury. So, um, but Apaji is not one uh, to changed too many things I mean Hennessy's had a bad run of form but he kept him in the side uh, which is fair actually because he didn't have a decent game yesterday but there is a lot of question marks over uh, whether the defence actually have a lot of confidence in him which seems to be a little bit disarray at the back so I'm I'm not too sure on Pardew at the moment actually whether he's improved this season or not I think this while we're in the middle of this form you know once I see see him make changes to get us to win a game Hopefully that's on Tuesday. Then after that, I could say, yeah, um, you know, he's he's improved because he's seen us, you know, seen us out of this bad run of form. But at the moment, it, it's difficult to decide. It, it's wonderful when it's all happy and good at the start of the season when you know everything's going right. When everything's going wrong, it's it's a lot harder to, to decide whose fault it is. But the manager does, you know, he's on the training pitch, he sets up the team, you know. So ultimately, it, it does come down to him. But uh, 
Um, our, 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 our reserve judgment until um, hopefully we get another win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, unlike you, many not reserving judgment, some calling for his head. Uh, would you like to retaliate against those people? Uh, to, for me, I think it's. I can see why because I think a lot of managers, you know, this run, this particular run we're on, two months without a win. Uh, well, it's longer than two months now without a Premier League win. Um, I think perhaps the FA Cups saved him a little bit. It's kind of papered over the cracks a little. But you know, the game against West Brom was. A great example. That first half was terrible, but the second half we did enough to get a point, maybe more out of that. If we had some decisions go our way, um, it's just that those decisions when we're struggling aren't particularly going our way at the moment. Um, I, for me, I, 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 I don't see what we would gain by changing anything. I mean, some people have mentioned bringing David Moyes or um, Brendan Rodgers. Even was mentioned. I saw on Twitter, but for me, Pardew is a Palace man. Um, like I mentioned again, he. Probably gets a you know a bit more time than most other managers coming in at Palace. You know, I, I, I still have a feeling that we're building something a little bit special. While while we've struggled with injuries and form this season, you know, if we go on and finish thirteenth, fourteenth in the league and get to the cup final, then I don't think it's all that bad really. And we can go again, you know, make a few signs in the summer and build again. I think what it has proven is that you know we need to learn from this bad run of form. If Pardew learns from it. Um, and we make some changes in the summer to kind of um, prove um, that he has learned, then then fair play. One thing I would say is that he did learn from an experience at Newcastle where he was without a first-choice goalkeeper. And since then, when he's got, that's why we have three top, well, I say top-class keepers. We have three keepers on our books at the moment who are very competitive, pretty similar in ability, um, because he had to play a youth player in goal at Newcastle. And he always said when he came... Um, that he would have three class goalkeepers to call upon, you know, for that for that very reason. So that just proves that he can learn as a manager. Um, I'm just hoping that he can continue to learn and uh, and 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 back me up and and uh, you know, in saying that he shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't get rid of him. I don't believe we should. I think it'd be a bit of a knee jerk reaction. I I don't have any fear of us going down this season. Maybe that's naive, um, but I think we're. I hate to say, but better than that. I hate people saying that, but I think we've done enough to get, you know, we'll pick up points between now and the end of the season um, and then go again in the summer. There's even talk of him getting an, a, a, an extra year's deal uh, by the club. Um, there's a lot of question marks around his tra- the transfer policy in January because I think what happened was we didn't actually get anybody in other than Adeboyor and then straight after the window closed, we got two serious injuries to players, which... You just can't predict, can you? You really can't. And that kind of emphasised the fact that perhaps we needed uh, to bring in, you know, it's, 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 it's hindsight, isn't it? You know, if you knew you are going to have those injuries, then you bring players in. But, you know, we, we had a, de- you know, we did have a decent squad of players at that point. And there's only, there's only so many players you can bring in before you're kind of breaking some of the EPP rules, aren't you? So, um, yeah, it's a tough one. But I'm, I'm behind Parge at the moment. I'm, I'm relatively happy, uh, although a little frustrated at the moment. Yeah, uh, in regards to your Premier League safety, uh, everybody always rounds it up to 40, saying you need 40 points to be safe. Mm. On average, it's 38. But this year could be a little different with a lot of teams picking up points. But you're six points away from 38, only eight away from 40. If you get a win against Sunderland, for example, then you're maybe Mm. just a win shy of safety. So, Mm. yeah, I I don't think that that's showing too much hubris on your part. Um, You did do very well in the first half. And as you mentioned, this has happened before. It happened at Newcastle where they... 
uh, went up the table and then just kind of tumbled till the end of it. But uh, hopefully you will regain your footing soon. Rasmus, a bit of a different situation over at Chelsea. You have Goose Hitting, who everybody imagined was a temporary fix. Uh, and at the time of his hiring, not many people even thought it was a fix, considering uh, how successfully he got Netherlands knocked out of the Euros. I'm not bitter at all. Um, but uh, he's done so well. There are rumors coming from your side, the opposite of Jay's side, saying maybe he's worth hanging on to. I know there have been some rumors about Italian managers, which you mentioned last time you were on. But what are your thoughts about the potential of potentially keeping him? Um, to be honest with you, I... I'm not overly excited about him staying next season. And that's actually, I'll put my hands up and say that's probably just pretty harsh, but it's just like a gut feeling that it wouldn't be the right decision. Um, I like him a lot. I really do. And and I wish he'd stayed on in, in 2009, uh, last time around, where I thought our football was, was brilliant, some of the best that we've played. Um, it's not brilliant right now, but I think that's that's also just down to just the season we're having now. We're just we're picking up results, but we're not playing brilliant football, and we can't really have it all. And I'm certainly not going to complain about how we're playing currently. Uh, but it's, I just have strange feelings about him potentially staying next season, and I just I I think it would be the wrong move. Uh, and I really, I can't really put my, I can't really tell you why exactly, but um, I think also he's not overly motivated to stay on next season. He is really good friends with Abramovich, and he's doing him a favor. And I th- obviously he's he's enjoying it, and he he likes Chelsea a lot, and that's good. And the players really seem to like him, so maybe it wouldn't be that bad. But um, we've been linked with uh, Conte, the current. Um, manager of the Italian national team, in case anyone was wondering, <laughs> um, who obviously is, is also a very experienced manager. A bit of a strange one, because Abramovich usually goes for um, for managers that have done well in in the Champions League, and that's the one competition where he didn't really impress with uh, Juventus Conte when he was manager uh, for them. But uh, he's he's very like Mourinho, except a bit more toned down. And I just feel like he would be very suited for the job of, of, of rebuilding the club. Um, because we, we really actually do need that. It's a bit of a, you know, back to square one. And we need to, um, to, to get some big personalities in. We need to get some leaders on the pitch. Uh, I saw that Lampard actually mentioned something about that this week, that... We've got some some technically very good players, but nobody to really motivate them to to play at the top of, of their game. We really need some some leaders, and, and with John Terry leaving next season, potentially I'll say for now, um, even more so, we, we need we need someone who uh, who fight for the club. I, I I'll I'll be fair and say that um, Diego Costa actually is, you know. For as much stick as he takes, he, he fights for the club. He fights to win every single time. And I think that's something that should really be respected. And, yeah, I know that a lot of people don't like him, but I'm a huge fan of that. And we need more people like him, really, perhaps. Slightly less drama. Uh, but that, that comes with it, doesn't it? John Terry, as well, is a very controversial character. And I think we need more of them. So, um if Hiddink stays on next season, which 
some of the players have expressed that they really hope happens, especially uh, John Obi Mikkel, which is not that weird considering the amount of playing time he's he's getting right now. If he stays on, I I will not be disappointed. But I think the right man for Chelsea might be uh, Antonio Conte, which Sky Sports the other day reported that it was more or less a done deal and it would be announced within 10 days, I believe, something like that. All right. Well, uh, I was going to say I hope it works out for you. I kind of don't. I hope that you're pleased with whatever happens, though, on a a personal note. Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) I hope Pochettino uh, comes in. Oh, come on now. Don't. You, he'd never do anything. I mean, if you played your U21 team this whole season, you'd be like 14th, um, which isn't that far off where you are now. Uh, is, is that something you're, you're looking for in a next manager? Somebody that's willing to integrate the terrific youth setup you do have? You have to feel that that is something where we really need to, to figure out a, a strategy and the solution to that problem that John Terry is the last player to really come through the youth ranks and establish himself in the first team. Obviously, uh, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, we thought he would do that this season, but but he hasn't really. Uh, Kennedy has, has probably been the most promising youngster, and, and we bought him in the summer, so it doesn't really count. Um, We've got a fantastic youth setup, and they're in the semi-finals of the FA Youth Cup for the fourth season in a row, or something. Uh, and top of top of the league as well, or second—I can't really remember. But it's just incredible that we have so many gifted youngsters, and and they don't get any chances at all. And if you look at at someone like uh, Louis van Louis van Gaal uh, at Manchester United, he's getting so much criticism, but. If there's one thing he does, it's you know playing the youth and look what what that got him today. Two goals from Rashford against Arsenal. That's 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 something we'll be hoping to see next season in Chelsea colours, not Rashford obviously, but but some of our youngsters given the opportunity to shine on the big stage and and taking it. Yeah, um, Mauricio Pochettino for us has obviously grown a lot this season. I mean, Rasmus just said he wants him at Chelsea, so that's a step up. Um, but uh, Two of the biggest issues that he had coming into this season were his apparent lack of a plan B and kind of related his struggle to make impactful substitutions. Both of things I have complained about on this very podcast. But fortunately, as of late, he seems to have really kind of grown out of those issues. And we always knew it would be likely that he would because he's such a young manager. But the fact that he's corrected those for the most part is is terrific. Uh, You saw today Nasser Chadley comes on, has an excellent finish. Um... And uh, Danny Rose mentioned that Hugo Lloris mentioned that the uh, substitutes at Tottenham, uh, that there was also a a bit of a mental block, that our players weren't really ready to play as soon as they stepped on the pitch, that it took them too long to get into the match. And if you're a substitute, you don't have a lot of time to do so. Uh, And so a lot of them ended up being unimpactful. So whether it's an attitude shift that's happened or if he's just picking better players to come on, which I, well, this is going to be filled with a lot of narcissism. Um... I find myself agreeing a lot more with the substitutes when they come on uh, than earlier on in his tenure. Um, and, and often think that he's making terrific calls, both tactically and uh, with personnel. Uh, I think that it'll be really interesting. I know earlier I said that you know the, the Dortmund Champions League comparisons are 
hollow. But the one thing that, that will be similar is to see how we will deal with massive fixtures in Europe. Because we haven't for the past few years. Yes, we've been in the Europa League. Fiorentina are one of the better perennial sides in Serie A, but they are very rarely actual contenders. Uh, so we continued our planned rotations throughout those matches, both last year and this. And it'll be interesting to see, as, as I mentioned at the top, how we deal with that. Will we play our best players? Will we play our second team and stick with them, much like Manchester City did and, and uh, Pellegrini did with Caballero, where he is coming off a not particularly good match, and a lot of people didn't want him to start this one, but he showed his faith in him, and so Caballero shows up, has a fairly decent match, then basically wins it for them uh, during penalties. Is that something that, that we'll be interested to do? I think that that is really the next step. Is We've seen Pochettino face issues before and then solve them, whether it be with players in the side, again, whether it be tactics, the substitutions that he's gotten so much better at, how will he deal with the pressure of being in the Champions League? Because we have a very strong second squad, but it is a while behind our first squad in terms of ability. So... If we're in the Champions League next year, will we be in the same situation we were in 2010? Where the choice was, are we really going to push for Champions League? Or are we going to try to ensure that we're in it again next year? I know Arsenal fans don't want to hear this from me, but this is the mistake that they've made often, is trying to balance the two. And it's why they haven't won a title, and it's why they very rarely make it out of the round of 16. It's because they're trying to hedge their bets. That's why Tottenham have made it further than them in that competition. It's because in 2010... We were like, we're, we're just going to play our best 11 in basically every match. Uh, and then they got too tired in the Premier League, but continued to do well in the Champions League. And it went very well for us. Only in so much as that Tottenham side making it to the quarterfinals was a big revelation for a lot of people that didn't know how far that team had come along. But that's the, that's the challenge that Pochettino will likely face next season is, are we willing to let another year of Champions League slipped by while we're in stadium development, while we have a crunch on our finances because of it, or will we be following in the words of Bill Nick? Will we be daring to do? Will we be in the Champions League to win it, knowing that it's unlikely, but knowing that just as we did last time, beating both Milans to to make it through multiple rounds, will we chase that? Will we be chasing that cup glory that, that has been missing at Tottenham for so long? So, I think that that will be the next big test. He has passed all the tests for us thus far. As I mentioned, you see it in the names of the clubs that he's being linked with. You've seen it with the development of the youth players that have come through with him. But that that'll be the big tell next year to see if he can continue to do this at the highest level. And I I do believe in him and I trust in him in our current situation. That's why I, I think we will I, I do not think that we will beat Dortmund, frankly. Um, but I think we will perform well, and I do think we will continue to be in the top four. Uh, I saw a couple people after today's results saying that now Tottenham are the favorites to win the Premier League, which seems silly, as Leicester pulled out a last gasp win, and Arsenal lost, but we still have to play them next weekend. It seems like maybe you'd wait until after that match to decide uh, who was going to win the title, but that that's all coming soon. But I do believe in Pochettino, and I think many do so as well. All right, and now we will head on to Player Watch, where we will quickly name a player who impressed us and a player who disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. And if you don't want to talk about players that are awful at your club, you can talk about a player that impressed you for the opposition. We'll start off with Jay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, well, you know, you me, could also guys. not pick a player that impressed if you want to pick the no, two that disappointed. No, I, I will be fair and I will say, um, second half, there's two players that impressed. Actually, there's one player that impressed throughout the game, to be honest. But I think the players that didn't impress were the whole 11 in the first half because, um, as I mentioned, there was a real it was a real lackluster showing, um, from everybody on that pitch. Couldn't get anything going, but you know you just can't excuse a performance, and I don't want to see a, a forty-five minutes like that again this season. We can't, we can't afford to. Um, you know, Pardew needs to address that, and the players need to address that. They will know. Uh, there, was, there was a good interview with Conor Wickham after the game, actually, and, and and he alluded to the fact that how bad they were in the first half, and the players know it, and they should do. I mean, these are professional, professional players, and if you know, if they if they didn't realise that they had such a stinker in that first half, then they shouldn't be playing football. Certainly, don't want them at my club anyway. But um, yeah, so the players that didn't impress were the whole whole that whole eleven. Second half, I mean, we we turned things around and we should have arguably got something out of the game really, but we really paid for that terrible first half points. But two players um, who actually ended up impressing me, Connor Wickham as one scored two good goals. Second goal was excellent. First one was just hounding a defender really, who made an absolute balls up of a. Uh, of a ball through to him. I don't know what he was doing. Um, Olsen <laughs> it really was a mess. But Connor Wickham still had a lot to do and he, and, he, and he got the goal back. And I said on social media that if we get a quick early goal in the second half, you know, it's game on. You know, the pressure would back on West Brom. Um, and, and it certainly was. And I think we looked pretty good in, sta- in stages with Balassi having to go at defence and also Zaha. But for me, I think more, more across the whole game, um, I mentioned Connor Wickham. He's been a much maligned player since we signed him for fairly, fairly decent sized money. A lot of fans have been hard to win over uh, where he's concerned. But another player who's suffered a bit more than that is Jordan Much. He's played his way into the team. Probably, probably more necessity getting him in the side because of injuries. But the last few games he's played really well. Um, he was the one player yesterday that covered the most ground I think he covered almost 12 kilometers in in that 90 minutes and there's a great example if you look on our Facebook page there's a video of him he took a corner um, which um, I think Dan had it cleared off the line it came back out to Jordan Much who just came out from the corner from taking the corner he he um, hit it with the outside of back into the penalty area and it was cleared and Jordan Much um, sorry West Brom broke and he was the guy that ran from that position all the way back to challenge, um, I think it was James McLean, on our own goal line uh, for the challenge. And that that just epitomised the performance he made. I mean, he just covered so much ground, was solid on the ball. It, perhaps he was the one player that could be excused from that first half because he was trying to get things going. He was strong on the ball. And he's been hounded by Palace fans ever since he joined us he, he came to the club with an injury um, we signed him injury it took a while to kind of get into the side he's not really had a run of games until now but I think he's he's really shown us this last couple of games while he's not setting the world alight we can see exactly what uh, you know what we saw in him to, to sign him so yeah um, I think the fans should lay, arm, lay off him a little bit actually because uh, he put in a good shift yesterday all right, and Rasmus, who impressed and disappointed for Chelsea? Um, I think the most impressive player for me is probably it was probably Cesc Fabregas, which is uh, which is weird because um, he's usually much much better in the first half of the season, and uh, then drops in form in the second half of the season. Obviously, this season it's coincided with with Hiddink uh, taking over, but his form has been so much better the last few months than than in the first months of the season, so that that's uh, that's great to see. Um, and and obviously at the business end of the season, that's that's what you want. 
he was very good and um, one of the best passes of the ball in, in the game still. Um, when he gets played in a position where he has the time to, to really pick out those those passes that we all know that he, he can uh, he can pull off. So, um, yeah, very happy with him. Uh, Raman probably was the one who disappointed the most simply because he uh, he gifted Southampton that goal. Uh, Courtois, as I mentioned earlier, not quick enough to get off his line, but it was not a situation he should have been put in either way by Raman. Um, apart from that, Hazard was not fantastic either, but, you know, let's let's not get too much into that. Um, so, I'll, yeah, I'll go with Fabregas as the most impressive and Raman as, as most disappointing, especially uh, after his, his brilliant display against uh, PSG and uh, Manchester City. Uh, it was a bit disappointing to, to see him uh, pull off such a, a stupid mistake as, as he did. Mm. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, I think Danny Rose, I, I think he may have actually won man of the match. Otherwise, I don't know why I would have seen a post-match interview from him uh, just now realizing this. But for me, Danny Rose was absolutely incredible today, tasked with keeping Andre Ayew in check, which is no simple task. Uh, and he was just flying up and down the pitch, gets a goal that he probably deserved. Just minutes before that one, he just lashed a ball um, that Fabianski had to tip over the bar. Uh, also, can we dispel with the narrative? Uh, somebody was like, oh, he does love a shot from there, but it was like 40 yards out, and the only other one from that far was against Arsenal on his debut. But everyone remembers it, and they're like, oh, yeah, he loves shooting from there. You're like, twice! <laughs> this was one of them. Um, but anyway... Uh, Danny Rose did play very well today and, and covered both in, in attack and defense, which he has been getting much better at. I, I know I've accused him uh, in the past of only getting forward, but his his instinct defensively continues to improve, and, and he did a terrific job on AU today. Got a little chirpy there for a little bit. There was a period of time where I thought maybe we would have been better off subbing him uh, just to prevent him getting a red card, but he composed himself, did very well from there on out, and then inevitably uh, scored the winning goal. Uh, for players that disappointed, probably Eric Lamela. He he was very good midweek uh, against Fiorentina in our 3-0. Uh, shock, gasp, Eric is good against Italian opposition. Um, but no, he, he played very well midweek, but just didn't seem to have it today. The, the problem, <laughs> I know I just spent like this entire thing talking about how great Pochettino is, but when Eriksson and Lamela sit right next to each other in, in a midfield three, they tend to crowd each other out. And with Della Ali playing a little bit further back, quote-unquote, in theory, um, he was bombing forward into the same space already occupied by Ericsson and Lamela. I don't know. And, and Kane often leads the line, but sometimes wants to sit back and let people overlap him. But none of those three are particularly going to do that with Ali, I suppose, the most likely. Um, but anyway, Lamela just kind of vanished in this one a bit. Uh, and he, he had been doing very well, so... Uh, this is really only a disappointment because of how much he has impressed of late, but he did not do so today. So yeah, uh, Danny Rose impressed and Eric Lamela disappointed. And now very quickly, we will go on to match previews because we have those this week uh, because we have midweek matches. Uh, very briefly, Rasmus, what do you see in this uh, visit to Carroll Road? Yeah, I expect us to um, to continue our, our form and, uh, and it was... Very encouraging to see uh, to see us win away against Southampton, and they're definitely not an easy side to to beat, especially away. So um, Norwich should should prove a slightly easier test. Obviously, they're in 
in a relegation battle uh, already, so they'll be fairly motivated, especially at home. But I, I hope that we'll win, and I do think that we that we could get three points. So probably two 0 Chelsea. All right, and Jay, you talked about it a little bit in the open, but you have Sunderland this week. What do you see in this one? Well, it's difficult to know what team is going to turn up, and this all Palace team is going to turn up. I'm hopeful that it's going to mirror last season in that Sunderland came to our place, went away with three points. We went to their place and won 4-1. I'm really hopeful that that's going to happen again because they came to our place earlier in the season, took all three points in what was a dreadful defeat for us at home again. And Balassi, we went up there with Balassi and he scored a hat-trick. So hopefully it's Balassi's time after missing the last six weeks or so, he's going to come back and, and really um, help us, well, fire us to three points. I think one good thing is that Connor Wickham, obviously a former Sunderland player, we bought him from Sunderland, scored two good goals against West Brom. So he's in. He's got his. He's got his sighters in, and he will be keen to score against his former team. Obviously, um, I'm. I'm hopeful that we can get. We can turn a corner in this game. I said it after the Spurs game against West Brom that hopefully that would be the catalyst for, for our um, league form to return. I'm hopeful again. That's just me. I'm hopeful all the time, it seems. Um, but I really feel this is a poor Sunderland side and one of the three sides that I think will end up going down. We're currently eight points away from relegation zone, which is a little bit of cause for concern. But if we lose this, then that gap could narrow to five points, depending on what Newcastle do as well during the week. So it's a game that suddenly becomes quite important to us and a game that we should really go there and win with our players, a lot of our players coming back from injury, particularly Balassi, particularly uh, Wickham with goal-scoring form, like I mentioned. So I'm going to go for a narrow 2-1 win for Palace. Maybe that's with red, you know, rose-tinted spectacles, but we've got to come out of this um, bad run of form at some stage, so why not on Tuesday? Yeah, uh, and for Tottenham, we have West Ham this week. Two consecutive London derbies here, West Ham midweek, Arsenal at the weekend. I talked about rotation there for a while during the topic, and that'll be crucial here as well. Um, we'll probably see Trippier and Davis because we just seem to be straight swapping them regardless of competition. So we'll probably see that. I think Chadley probably earned himself a start as well, and also he's more rested than the rest. Mm, I could have said that better. Um, but I digress. I, I think this will definitely be a tough one. Obviously, they have Payet. I don't think Sacco uh, will be back in time, nor Valencia, so probably Emanike again, who I, I do think is better than he showed at the weekend, but hopefully we can shut him down uh, midweek here. But I'm, I'm, I wish I was more confident, uh, but I, I'm, I'm all right, I suppose. Uh, I think a, a clean sheet is unlikely. I really like that three across the midfield with uh, Antonio Payet and um, Lanzini who uh, just returned. So I think this could be a tough one. I'm, I'm going to kind of stick with the party line here, everyone on the show, and say probably a 2-1 win for us. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay, editor of TheEaglesBeak.com. You can catch us all across social media, but mostly on Twitter, at TheEaglesBeak. And I'm also a pundit on a local community radio football show, Back of the net, and you can get us on Twitter at underscore back of the net underscore. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Chelsea Rumors, where I should have quite a lot of new content coming up soon. 
Uh, not something I'm going to re reveal too much about right now. So um, just keep an eye on my Twitter profile. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my writings over at playtaga.com and eaglesbeak.com with Jay, where I have a weekly fantasy article that goes up. I'm also the Premier League correspondent for uh, All In Sports Talk, which you can listen to on Tuesdays. Also host of the FPL Roundtable, which goes up on Thursdays, and this, which of course goes up on Fridays and Mondays. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. 